And if you would like to open your Bibles along with me, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 12, and we will be picking up in verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 12, picking up in verse 29. And just a reminder that there are announcement sheets on the uh, welcome desk that you can take, and it'll tell you what's going on throughout the week. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name with the desire to open your word in such a way that it opens our heart to you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, as we look into this portion of Scripture, that portion of Scripture would look into our heart and souls. And use it, Lord, to minister to and to encourage us in all your ways, because your way is the only way. And so I pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would spread out among those that are here this morning and even those that are watching and that they might all be encouraged in your ways, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, the portion of Scripture that we're getting into this morning and also into the second service almost seems harsh. But what's happening is the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, and the Lord wants to make sure that they not only uphold the faith, but they are his standards of faith in order for that to go out through the whole entire world. And the thing that we have to understand is that every one of us, every human being that walks the face of this earth is body, soul, and spirit. And the body is probably, very honestly, the least important part because the body is simply what transfers us around. The body is what allows us to express our emotions, to express our faith, and even some bad things like anger and fear and so forth. But who we really are is soul and spirit. And your soul is who you are. It's your self-identity. It's what makes us different. But the soul, different than the body, is eternal. The soul does not die, ever. The body does, the soul doesn't. And then you have your spirit. And the spirit is what allows us to have communion with God. His spirit intercedes with our spirit with groans and utterances that cannot be described, you know, be uttered. And so our spirit is dead until we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what it means when it says our spirit is quickened. It's an old word that means made alive. And so now we're able to also take our soul, our whole personality, and deliver it in worship and service to God. But the problem is that in our world and in our nation today, the greatest fear people have is for the body. People fear death more than they fear anything. And how sad that is because there's something that is a whole lot worse than physical death and that's spiritual death. We're not to be afraid of the soul, you know, uh, <clears throat> I mean the body dying, but we should be very fearful of the soul not going to heaven to be with the Lord. And that's the reason the Lord was so harsh, and especially in, in, in the next portion, uh, in the second service, very harsh, talking about putting to death those that bring false doctrines in. Because at that point, the Lord was establishing his faith on earth. So we are in um, Deuteronomy 12, starting with verse 29. And uh, just as my introduction, the warning God gives his people in this portion needs to be heeded today, maybe more than any other time in history. Because it is so easy for us to justify our sin at the cost of overlooking holiness. Well, what's so important about holiness? 
I'll wait while you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. It's towards the end of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, and go to verse 14. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 14. Okay, Hebrews 12 and verse 14. Look what it says. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness, you see, or Christian perfection is not always, it's not being perfect like Christ was perfect. Only Christ was able to live in this life, this physical life, without ever having committed sin. But holiness is being committed fully to the Lord. It's dying to self and being made alive to him. And so when we talk about holiness, it's really about being set apart. Another term that is used in Scripture and we often use in theological terminology is sanctification. And to be sanctified means to be set apart to the Lord. And by virtue of you being born again, you have committed yourself to Jesus Christ to the sense that you're being set aside from the world in order to serve and worship him. So holiness and sanctification go together. You can't separate them. And so you and I as believers, to demonstrate our holiness, we're to be sanctified or set apart unto the Lord. And it can be very difficult to do that in a world that, that just clamors to satisfy our flesh and also to stir up our fears. Because one of the things you'll find that one of Satan's favorite weapons and the weapons of this world is to stir up fear in order to direct us in any way we want. Because, very honestly, I think people are more afraid of death than they are being separated from God, you know, physical death, than being separated from God, and that can't be. The Canaanites, you see, had um, their false gods. They had Baal, and their main goddess was Astra or Ashtaroth, Baal was also known as Moloch and in, in the Philistines as Dagon, the same, same God. And listen to what he required. The sacrifice of children for success and prosperity. He also was the God of nature worship, the worship of Mother Earth. And then you had uh, Ashtaroth, and she was the goddess of fertility, sexuality, and war. And she was worshipped through what they called shrine prostitutes. But the God that sweeps over our world today is the God of self, which incorporates all these false gods. Because self is so important in this world, they're willing to sacrifice to all these gods that we've just mentioned without even realizing it. Consider what we have today in our world. There's never been a time that I, I believe anyway, there's never been a time that the world has been more corrupted and more immoral than today. The only time that might have been that bad was just before the judgment of the flood at the time of Noah. There was no righteousness to be found on earth. And I think that's where we stand today. Consider what we have today. Abortion, greed, lust for wealth, worship of Mother Earth, Immoral sexuality, war, and you see these are no different than the sins of the Canaanites that the Israelites were told to avoid. 
Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, these are the Canaanites, and you displace them and dwell in their land, the Lord's telling, telling them in advance, you're going to win. You're going to take over this land. Verse 30, take heed. And that's an old word that means uh, you can't be careful enough. Make sure. Take heed to yourselves that you are not ensnared uh, to follow them after they are destroyed from before you and uh, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. So you see, even though they might have defeated the Canaanites, the whole religion of the Canaanites could come back on them and defeat them. Verse 31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. In other words, the way the Canaanites do. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire of their gods. That was literal. Whatever I command you, <clears throat> be careful to observe it. You will not add to You'll not, you'll not add to it or take away from it. In other words, what his commands are are his commands. You don't add to it. You don't change them, try to work around them. They're just what they are. Um, in the face, think about this. In the face of the atrocity of abortion, war, greed, and immorality running rampant in our nation today, we have to understand there's never been a time that the spread of the gospel is more important. But it seems to me that for many Christians, they have become more reluctant to share their faith than any other time in history. And I think it's because they don't want to be mocked, they don't want to be put down, they're afraid of making people angry, but a lot of it is fear, fear, fear. And I think it's uh, something that we need to be praying about because this world is so dark that it needs the light more than probably any other time in history except possibly prior to the flood. Scripture tells us prior to the flood, the whole world was wrapped in unrighteousness, and that's why God had to bring judgment. And we're coming to a place where it's time for God to bring judgment again. Understand, everything the Word of God says is true. And the Word of God makes it very clear that he's going to bring his wrath upon this world. But Scripture also gives us this encouragement. You and I as believers, we're not appointed unto wrath, but to salvation. And so we know from the study of the Word of God that before God's wrath is being... And we'll know when it's God's wrath being poured out. It's not going to be natural disasters. It's not going to be, you know, man's inhumanity against man. That's been going on since the beginning. It's going to be coming down from heaven. God's wrath will be poured out. And so we have to understand that before that happens, God will be taking his bride, his church, out of the world in what we call the rapture. <clears throat> Many people think that's just a fairy tale. It's not. It's a doctrine that we find all through Scripture. It's important for you and I to understand this is true. This is going to happen. There's going to be one day that the trumpet is going to sound the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and you and I who left and are alive are going to be changed. Read 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to 
put aside these mortal bodies and put on spiritual bodies. And all the sin and corruption of our heart is going to be left behind and will be filled only with praise and love for God. And then we shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and there we shall be with him forevermore. That's not just a nice verse of Scripture to make us feel good. That is reality, and that is fact. I mean, when you consider everything that the Bible prophesied would come true has come true, how can we deny the greatest promise he's made to his church, the rapture? Well, how can you say that? Well, yeah, I guess uh, Israel isn't a nation yet, is it? <clears throat> it's interesting. I have, um, I love old commentaries, and I have the Adam Clark commentary. And Adam Clark, in, when it comes to those portions that prophesy the reestablishment of Israel as a nation, he says, of course, that can't really happen. So he spiritualized it and said, well, the church has become Israel. When the Bible says that Israel would be reestablished as a nation, it means Israel would be reestablished as a nation. And it's so amazing that oftentimes out of the greatest atrocities, God's promises are born. The atrocity of Egypt, you know, Israel was born. And we have to realize that out of the atrocity of everything that went on against the, uh, the Jews in World War II, uh, it birthed a nation. You know, one of the, if you ever have a chance to go to Israel, Vi and I have been thinking a lot about it again, and, and um, it's absolutely one of the most amazing trips you can make. And whenever we go, we always go to the, uh, how's it, what is it, the Yad Vashem. And that's the Holocaust Museum. And when you go through the Holocaust Museum, I'm going to get all teary thinking about it. You can't believe what happened to the Jews during that time period. They had this one place where you go, and they have a, a fire that burns continually. <laughs> Man, it's twice as big as this room, filled up maybe seven, eight feet high. And it's all the shoes of children and babies that were burnt in the ovens of Hitler. But think what happened out of that atrocity. The nation, the world, in a moment of weakness, gave Israel their homeland. And on May 14, 1948, Israel declared itself a nation. The nation was born. Do you understand what an amazing fulfillment of prophecy that was? God promised them that they would be back in their land. And the thing that's amazing is that the Hebrew that they speak is the same exact Hebrew that Abraham would have spoke. If Abraham went back to Israel, he could understand them if he, you know, came back to life. Now, one of the things that we know is before the revelation could come in of Jesus Christ, which is the last book of the Bible, before that could come into fulfillment, something else had to happen. Israel had to have Jerusalem as their capital. It's required. Read Revelation. That's where the two prophets were. The temple was uh, going to be built there. And lo and behold, President Trump moved our embassy to Israel now, Israel, or Jerusalem was always the capital of Israel, but it was not the recognized capital. Now it is. 
So what we're seeing is prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes in such a, a, a progressive fashion <clears throat> that all of us as believers, that's where our focus should be. Not here. Oh, what about this? What about that? How about this? Our focus needs to be on heaven and to be his ambassadors to a world that, that needs Jesus Christ more than any time of his, in history. Many fear, think about this, many fear being politically incorrect more than the wrath of God that is very soon to break out in this world. Well, I don't want to be politically incorrect. I don't want people to think badly of me. This world has attempted to not only justify sin, you know that, but whitewash it to the point that sin has become politically correct. What does Scripture say? They'll take evil for good and good for evil. And that's exactly what has happened. Think about this. It seems today that the only sin is being politically incorrect. Abortion, adultery, homosexuality, greed, pornography, living in fear are actually the doctrines of today's world. That's normal. That's the doctrine. How sad when the only answer to man's woes is salvation, and it has become politically incorrect to talk about that. And, of course, that's the only sin of the world today. Consider this. Abortion clinics, adult clubs, liquor stores are considered essential in our COVID-19 environment. But church gatherings are not essential. If you think about it, I'm around more people every week in Wegmans, Walmart, and BJ's than I am around people in church for a year. <clears throat> oh, you can't go to church. You're going to go to Walmart? Well, of course I've got to. Going to go to a grocery store, Wegmans? Yes, of course I've got to. Going to go to BJ's, get those special? Yes, of course I've got to. Going to go to church? Oh, no. government says we're not supposed to. Well, it's very concerning to me as a pastor, and it should be concerning to all believers that fear has allowed us to make non-essentials essentials and the essentials non-essential. What does the Word of God say? Do not forsake the gathering of yourself together as some have grown in the custom of doing, but come together, and all the more as you see that day approaching, the day's approaching. This is where we need to be. God warned his people not to attempt to worship him the way the pagans worship their gods. And so we can't walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the spirit. Either we walk in the spirit or we don't. Now, the fact of the matter is, even as believers, there are times that you and I walk in the flesh, right? All of us, if we're, if we're honest, we have to admit that there are times we walk in the flesh. For you guys, think about this. You're driving down the road, someone pulls out in front of you, and you say, bless you, my son. No, you don't. Someone pulls out in front of you. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I can tell you, you're in the flesh, right? But we are also people that desire to walk in the Spirit. That's why we like to have our times of devotion, study the Word. We like to come together to worship together and so forth. But we have to realize that this pagan world 
is trying to strip us of our faith. It's trying to strip us of our faith. Because the same warning that the Lord was giving the children of Israel before they went in to the promised land, the land of the Canaanites, and saying to them, when you go in there, you're going to defeat them, but don't let them defeat you by you end up worshiping their gods and their morality. And I think we have to be careful that that is not what is happening today by having one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus, on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> I'm going to have you going through the Bible a little bit this morning, but make sure you keep your uh, main focus on Deuteronomy. 1 Peter chapter 4, and go to verse 1. <clears throat> Whenever you see the word therefore, it means you need to go back and, re and read the preceding chapters, the preceding paragraphs. Because when you read those paragraphs, then it says, therefore, it's the conclusion. It's what you need to determine from what you just read. So make sure you always go back and read. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, for the lusts of, of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Verse 4, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. So now we've come to a place where if you say, I don't want to get involved in drunkenness. I don't want to get involved in revelry. I don't want to get involved in all these things that my God tells me I'm not supposed to. Oh, you're... Uh, have you ever had people say that? Oh, you just take it too far. You're become a religious fanatic. You know, and, and they start making mockery of you because you want to stand on the word of God. But I think we need to be careful to not allow ourselves to walk away from his love. Because we don't do things out of fear. We should be doing things out of love. When you love someone, Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. He didn't say you obey my commands, otherwise I'm going to get you. He said, if you love me. And if we love Jesus, we desire to do what he commanded. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, listen to what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, now listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. We should no longer be walking in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Why? Because Jesus Christ gave himself for us that we might be able to do that. That you and I, as believers, might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And no longer are we so entangled in the affairs of the world that we can't break loose. But God has given us the Spirit that we might walk after him rather than all the entanglements of this world, of this life. 
Look at what it says in Romans 8.8. 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's pretty powerful. For, so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't live in the flesh and by faith at the same time. You can't do it. You know, you might fall to sin, but you can't turn that sin into worship. You know what I'm saying? Because the thing that I really want to make clear here is because it's so easy for us to fall into legalism, which is what the, pro, the, prof, uh, the Pharisees fell into, was legalism. And here's what legalism is. You lay out these rules and regulations, and by golly, you better follow every one of them. And if you don't follow those rules and regulations, then you're no good, you're probably not even saved. That's legalism. But our relationship with Jesus Christ, which is by grace and mercy, the Lord is saying, this is the way you're supposed to walk. This is the path. But then he says, but when you fall off, confess and repent. So by him saying, when you fall off, there is a way back through confession and repentance, what is he saying to us? I know your frame. I know your weakness. I know there are going to be times that you lose it. Whatever it is, lose your temper, whatever it might be, whatever sin you fall into. But he says, get back. How do we know we're saved? Because we want to get back. I mean, if you're a believer and you fall into sin... And you say, you know what, this is great, I'm going to stay here. You're probably not saved. But when you fall into sin, and in your heart you're thinking, I hate this, I don't want to be here, God help me, you're saved. Why can I say that? Because it's only the Holy Spirit that convicts you of sin. The flesh can convict you, you know, of not being politically correct, but only the Spirit can convict you that something is actually sin. Listen, how long are we going to make per, uh, how long are we going to make provisions and excuses for the flesh? Listen to this: those things the Bible calls sin are murder, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, perversion, not setting any wicked thing before your eyes. These are all found in Scripture: drunkenness, lying, greed, taking the Lord's name in vain. There's still sin no matter how much the world attempts to make them politically incorrect, there's still sin. And I think sometimes we have to be careful, even as believers, to start justifying some form of sin. It's not a good thing to do. It's a very dangerous thing to do. It's one thing, as I mentioned earlier, to fall to sin and cry out for God's mercy and grace and forgiveness, and he will forgive you. If we confess our sin, if is a conditional conjunction, you have to do it. If we confess our sin, what does it say? He is faithful and just, not only to forgive us, but purify us from all unrighteousness. What that means is he not only forgives us from our sin, but he takes the wash water of the Holy Spirit, and he cleanses us completely of the stain of that sin. How amazing is that? but we can't make excuses for it. God warned the Israelites. As God warned the Israelites, he warns us. And I'm not asking this to make anyone feel guilty or put them on some kind of a guilt trip, but how often do we 
attempt to justify sin in our lives. Well, I can't help it. Well, I know you can't, but the Spirit can help you. (laughs) That's just the way I am. I know, but you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Well, God knows my heart. Yes, and the heart is exceedingly wicked beyond understanding. You know what I'm saying? So we have to make sure that we don't try to justify sin in our own lives. Just allow the Holy Spirit to to show us. And and see, the, the fine line that we have to understand is there's a big difference between putting legalistic requirements on people and helping people understand the grace and mercy of God. In other words, you are going to fall to sin. That's why it says his mercies are new every morning. Why? We need them every morning. We need them every day. Why does it say if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive? Because he knows we're going to fall. So being a believer, being a lover of God through Jesus Christ, our focus and desire is on being right and pure before him. But we can't do it in and of ourselves, but only by the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to do it with perfection, but we're going to do it by endeavoring to follow him even when we make mistakes to confess and repent you know the example that i I have used in church here probably uh 3462 times i think but it's an example i always use because to me it, it just makes sense when i was a kid and some of you younger kids might not understand this but when i was a kid every boy and a lot of girls but every boy learned to play baseball you guys know who Mickey Mantle is? Yogi Berra? You know, Roger Maris? Come on, come on. But anyway, every boy learned how to play baseball. And I remember when my father was teaching me how to play v- baseball, my father was a very loving, gentle, patient man. Coal miner. Started working in the coal mines in sixth grade to support his family when his father died. He worked in coal mines his whole life, and he died of the black lung. But he loved Jesus. He was the first one that told Vi and I about the Lord. And anyway, when he was teaching me to play baseball, and he'd tell me, you know, put your leg shoulder width apart, you know, put a little bend in your knees and take the bat and hold it back over your shoulders. And when you see the ball come, keep your eye on the ball and then swing and hit it. Well, the first time he threw the ball to me, I swung and I missed. My father didn't go, you idiot, what's wrong with you? I told you how to hit the ball and you didn't hit it. I'm done with you. He didn't say that. You know what he said? It's okay. Let's try again. And you know how many times I swung and missed, swung and missed, and then one time I hit the ball, and it was like, ah! And think about it. Those of you who follow baseball, which aren't very many anymore, but if you follow baseball, if you have someone who's batting 350, they're a good hitter. You know what that means? They hit the ball 35% of the time. Think about it. So 65% of the time, they miss. Only 35% of the time, they get on base. You have to get on base for it to count. And so we have to understand, in our relationship with the Lord, there's none of us that are batting 1,000. But let's at least be batting 350. Be great if we could bat 500. That still means you're going to miss half the time. And so in our walk with the Lord, we have to understand that the patience and grace that he shows towards us, we have to be willing to not only show towards others, but towards ourselves. Sometimes 
God shows us more grace than we're willing to show ourselves. Do you know what I'm saying? We have a hard time forgiving ourselves often than God has forgiving us. If God has forgiven you, there's no longer is any sin to be discussed. He takes our sin from us as far as what? The east is from the west, and then what else does he do? He remembers them no more. But we remember them, but we have to let go. I'm a new creation in Christ. The past is behind me. And we should never allow Satan to remind us of our past, and brothers and sisters as believers, we should never remind others of their past. Because that is grave sin to do that. Now, just as God warned the Israelites, he warns us. And uh, think about how often we attempt to justify our own lives and what we do and don't do. But remember Jeremiah 17, 9, what it tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and despitefully wicked. And that's why it, it, it cracks me up when people say, I just follow my heart. I go where my heart tells me. Well, it says here your heart's deceitful. <laughs> and, and beyond finding out, I mean, it's, I follow Jesus. I'm led by the Spirit is what we should be saying. And so we have to understand that there is no nation nor any time in history that the sins that are being talked about here have come to the place where they are. Do you know how many babies die in abortion? Unbelievable. The Canaanites never came near that many. And most babies are put to death on the altar of convenience and self. It's more convenient and self selfish for me. More, It's better for me to terminate this birth. And of course, the United States can take credit for not only being uh, the abortion capital of the world, but the United States has imported abortion throughout the world. And you have singers that mock Christians who say that pro-life is what we should follow after. They mock us. They look at the sacrifice of babies on the altar of Moloch as nothing. And we, we as believers need to take every opportunity to share it's wrong. I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to put anyone on a guilt trip or make you feel guilty, but are you around people who talk about abortion being okay and you say nothing? You know, like people ask me, what is your political stand? And I tell people, I have one issue. I'm with the party that's against abortion. It's that simple. That's simple. I don't have to have the whole agenda that I'm looking to be fulfilled and so forth, but that just says a lot. And the reality is that you consider that New York State was the first state to legalize abortion. New York City is still... The, the capital of abortion. More abortions are performed in New York City than, than any other city in the entire nation. And I can't remember when it was, but they actually, on the Empire State Building, at night, they had a, one of those big projectors, and they portrayed the 
the god, what is it, Kali, who is the god of death. They projected it. And look at what's going on. Well, you and I, we follow Jesus Christ. And we have to be willing to stand for the truth no matter what the world tells us is politically incorrect. We love Jesus. Self is the greatest God in this world. And so many fall and worship at its feet. So we have to understand that you and I, being the light of the world, and the darker the world gets, the more it needs the light. It's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. You know, we spend so much time, oh, the abortion, oh, the sin, oh, the drunkenness, oh, the adultery, oh, the, all this, oh, oh. We spend so much time cursing the darkness rather than just shining the light of Jesus Christ. It's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. And it's an amazing thing, and uh, probably a lot of you have had this experience, but I don't know how many of you have ever gone to Howe's Cavern. It's a cool place to go. But one of the things they do is you go down this huge shaft down into the bowels of the earth, and uh, it's all, you know, they have electric down there, so it's lit up. And you get in these uh, boats, these like little boats. There's an underground river, uh, not big, but, you know, stream maybe. And you get in these boats, and one of the things that they, they do is the guides turns off all the lights. And you've never experienced darkness like that. Because usually when we say, oh, it's dark, we can still see shadows and, you know, of gray and so forth. But when you're in house caverns and they turn the lights off, you could go like this and you can't see your hand. And uh, it'll give you a little hint of um, how long ago it was when we were in house cavern. Frank Lee, my son, Pastor Frank Jr., he had a favorite stuffed animal. It was a raccoon, and he called him Rocky. And we were in Howe's Cavern, and he had his little raccoon. He was only about four or five years old. And he had his little raccoon, and the lights went off, and he grabbed a hold of him, and he goes, Daddy, he said, Rocky's really scared. <laughs> well, guess what? The darkness should scare us. But the fact is, all we have to do is light a light. Simple light. And that light is Jesus Christ. And isn't it interesting that Scripture says we are the light of the world. And so I encourage you as believers to understand when God was laying out all these what seemed to be very harsh commands for the Israelites, he was laying them out so that they wouldn't get caught up into all the false doctrines and, and demonic teachings of the land that they were going into. You and I are surrounded. We are surrounded. Good, truly, in our, in our nation, fulfills that verse of Scripture that says good is taken for evil and evil for good. And you know that's the truth. If you go up to someone, you know, and you say, you know what, I think abortion is sin, and it's the, it's the taking of life of a child. Whoa! Unbelievable. They they're, lose their mind. But we have to understand that sin is sin by definition of Scripture, not by definition of men. And that's why we need to know the Bible. 
You know, before I close, just a little encouragement. And, and I, I don't want to give you the false impression that this is something Vi and I have been doing for years. We just, we just started it last night. We need to know the Bible. We need to study the Bible. It's the best book in the world. There's no book better than the Bible. Take whatever Bible you read, look at the number of pages, and divide it by 365. And if it comes out to five pages, read five pages of your Bible every day, and at the end of the year, you'll have read your entire Bible. It's always good to read anything in context, isn't it? And so, simple way of doing it. If you want to have a good Bible reading program, there you are, through the Bible in a year. And if you want to uh, go through the Bible twice a year, just double the number of pages that you find. And you can go through it twice a year. The Bible is the book each one of us should be absolutely enthralled with because it is the book of truth. It's God's word to man. Father, we come before you in Jesus, Yeshua's name, and how thankful we are for the word of God, for the truth that is found between the bindings of those pages. And help us, Lord, to understand that the greatest fear that any of us should have would be that people would die without knowing you. They would die to just eternal death. And I pray, Father, that you would cause us to be your light in this world. I pray your Holy Spirit would fall upon each one of us and just give us a fresh anointing that we would have the stamina, the wisdom, and the desire to share your faith everywhere we go. And we pray and ask all these things in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends. Have a blessed day. And if I don't see you, have a, a happy new year.